This short is brought to you by Lens Protocol. Can you share more about like the history around the social graph, right? And if you build a Web3 social graph, like what sort of problems are you aiming to fix, right? Big picture. Um, what did Web2 social graphs do wrong that you think, yeah, like these these more open permissionless protocols can do right? Yeah, so I actually don't think there's a ton of great reading out there. You kind of had to experience some of it. And I was fortunate okay. that I was not super old yet, but I was in high school enough that I, I really got to see the full rise of, of Web2 social media. But the the kind of things to think about are you, you have the kind of early version of the internet, which is very much about read, right? So it's a kind of consuming information, weather information, sports scores, stocks. And then as the performance of browsers and broadband connections, you started to move to this kind of interactive model where uh, you, you could effectively use a web application as in, in lieu of using desktop software, right? And as that happened, you, you had the kind of first wave of social networks, Facebook in 2004, Twitter, I think 2006, and, and a whole bunch of other ones that popped up. But what, what's interesting is in that era, the primary way of bootstrapping those social graphs outside of just people kind of friending each other on Facebook specifically because they went to school together. So that was actually gated on email. Uh, if you look at some of the, the growth tactics, this is what I've been told at least, that Facebook used, it was kind of the contact importer from your email address, right? It's like sign in with your Gmail or, or upload your, your contact list. And that in of itself kind of was able to create a, a pretty big graph. And what's interesting about that is, so let's say uh, 10 of my friends had signed up for Facebook and I show up to Facebook because I was in their contact book. Facebook actually had enough information to make a recommendation of here are some potential friends. And I think there's the kind of apocryphal story of, you know, get to the 10 friends is the magic number that a Facebook user became, mm -hmm. right? So that, that was the, the Facebook implementation is gate on email based on school, get concentration in those schools, expand out to other schools. And then eventually, once you have all the college students in the US, you can expand out to the rest of the world. And the thing I always like to kind of point out is if you think about it, Facebook stopped, be, stopped being cool the moment it stopped being only for colleges, but because they had created such a high concentration of very engaged users at a, I think a critical cool juncture for society, right? Everyone younger than a college student thinks they're cool because they're in college. And then people who are graduated from college right. wish they were back in college. Right. And so my theory on that is that that concentration of, you know, basically college students had this crazy half-life where even if college student engagement started to slowly decline, on Facebook, it didn't matter because the rest of the world wanted to kind of go after mm -hmm. that original feel. And then you eventually get to several billion people using the app. I mean, a phenomenal success from building a social graph. Twitter, a little different in that it was a little bit more SF tech scene. And the, uh, you know, South by Southwest, and, and, it, and it kind of started actually as a slightly older platform relative to, if you look at a lot of social networks, mm -hmm. it tend to be younger. And the push with Twitter is if you actually look at it, it just didn't grow that much in the scheme of things for the first five years. And, and it really it's in only in the last five, seven years that, it, that it's had um, a significant, like really big impact on society. It really kind of around the 2016 election, I think Twitter became a lot more mainstream 
Um, obviously, always high status from the you know the hashtag or the at reply. But in terms of Twitter being used as kind of this true internet public square, I think 2016 and after that's that's where 20, you know Twitter and then part of it is the mm. president was using Twitter directly. Right. Um, and so I, I think that network. I don't have as much insight into exactly how the social graph developed, but that said, I also think one thing to think about with Twitter is Twitter is is not a social network for most people who use it. I think you know, on the order of 200 million people use Twitter every day. What percentage of people are actually tweeting, liking, replying? It's relatively small, whereas I think most people use Twitter as an information feed and just mm -hmm. simply a way to catch up on news. Whereas if, you know, you or I, the way we use Twitter is this kind of intellectual, you know, thought leadership network where you're meeting other like-minded people in your industry to kind of have a better perspective on, on whatever you're working on. And that version of Twitter is what it started with, but really has not expanded. It, it didn't, it, we didn't have a hundred million people all of a sudden doing uh, threats on, on Twitter, right? And so that's actually something that's influenced our thinking with Farcaster is if you actually think of, of the addressable market that you have to go after in order to be something that's competitive with Twitter, that, that total number of users of the 200 million people using it every day, that's a daunting number and, and feels like you can never get there. But if you reframe it to say, actually the, the Twitter version that we're trying to compete with early on is go for the people who use Twitter as kind of this public intellectual social right, network. Right. Then that's a that's a far smaller number, and and it makes it more achievable, right? Like you go from being barely any way percentage of the way there to okay, maybe you can get to like 0.1 percent, and you know then to 0.5 percent, 1 percent, 10 percent, and so I think that is a way of reframing what we're going after. And the other interesting thing about people uh, who use Twitter as a social network is they're the ones who hit the problems the most, right? They post about, you know, MetaMask or the future of, of crypto wallets, and then they get all the, the crypto spam responding to them, right? The, I, you take a lot of time to craft, whether it's a thread or a post for your podcast, and for whatever reason, the algo is like, oh, you put a link. We don't want you clicking on the link because that kicks you out of the app. Okay, right. it gets downrated. And, and so that is where I think the, the opportunity for a new social network, at least in the bootstrapping mechanism, it's to go after the people that feel the acute pain points of Twitter. But the challenge with those people, and I think we've talked about this uh, on, on DM, is you're trying to build an audience. And so you're gonna optimize for the platform where you feel like you're gonna get the most reach. Mm -hmm. And so for something like Farcaster, where we're approaching it with this kind of very deliberate growth, invite only, only 3,000-ish people in, in a beta, it's gonna be hard to justify for you as a, as a content creator to say, hey, I'm gonna spend more time on Farcaster because I really wanna build my audience. If you feel like there's, a, there's more potential on either another web three social network or realistically something like Twitter. And this is actually an insight that when we launched Farcaster last year, I onboarded a whole bunch of people that I would call are my Twitter friends and people in my professional network. And they had talked a lot about you know, for a long time about the need for a decentralized uh, version of Twitter. And so I start working on this thing. I, I'm ready to onboard them. They, they go through an onboarding with me. They're really you know excited. They're like, wow, this is actually pretty decent. Never come back. And 
I reach out to them and ask, well, why, why didn't you, you come back? You told me that you thought this is an important thing. And whether they were willing to admit it or not, I think I finally figured out, and this is obvious in retrospect, but I think you sometimes have to just go through the hard lesson of it, sure. is if you have 500,000 or 800,000 followers on Twitter and you have 80 followers on a nascent social network, how are you going to justify spending the time on that network out of just pure passion or interest? But those people are busy. So like, of course, they're going to default to the thing that has massive distribution. Because right. ultimately, if you're playing this kind of public intellectual social network game, right. what you care about is meme propagation and idea idea propagation. Right. And so quantity does matter. Now, I think one thing I would say is quality has been very hard to measure traditionally. And I think one interesting thing about a decentralized social network that is crypto native, like Farcaster, is one, you can now have a whole bunch of competing companies have full access to the entire data set. Right. So one thing about Twitter, like the proverbial fire hose, I think that that's pretty limited and who, who has access to it. I don't even know if they, they even give access to it at this point. But the idea is you can't actually do a, a full measure of the entire network. You have to do sample. Right. Right. Whereas with something like Farcaster, you can genuinely you can just actually index the entire right. network. Right. And then what's interesting is you can also look at the on-chain activity. And so you can actually use that on-chain activity in, in two ways, I think is interesting is one. You can quickly figure out if things look spammy, right? Because it's very expensive to put, a, you know, high value NFT or even, you know, $5,000 worth of Ethereum into a whole bunch of addresses to kind of fake an account. Sure. Whereas contrast that to a Twitter account, you know, bot account where, you know, Super easy. I think a lot of times they just need a phone number, which you can programmatically right. create with VoIP. And, and so I think that that becomes really interesting because you can actually start to measure the quality in, by whatever metric you want of your audience in a way that in web two, you get a little bit of it, like Facebook can have some centralized reporting tools, but it, but it's, it's, it's pretty general and crude. Whereas I think this, you get a lot more detail with, with web three and maybe it doesn't always say the same. Maybe we get a little bit more privacy on chain in terms of what we're doing, mm -hmm. but I think it's, a, it's an underexplored area. And I think as we scale Farcaster, I do think people are going to build some interesting tools so that you have a much better understanding of your audience building on a, you know, decentralized crypto native network like Farcaster. And yes, your audience might only be 10% or 1% of your audience on Twitter, but you have higher confidence that it's actually a higher right. value audience and an audience that might actually refer your podcast to another friend. Right. And right. so, so I, I think that's like one element that we're, we're trying to figure out because it's just going to be a really long time before we, we ever kind of reach the level sure. of scale that web two social networks have. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ, and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.